Welcome to our eighth episode. That's right, we have an eighth episode. And last week... We How are we at eight? I know, right? Eight. And we're going every other week, so it feels like we've been doing this for a year and a half already. Uh, but we're only at eight. And last week we had our first guest, and we decided, that's it. We don't want to ever do another episode of just us. We're only going to have guests every time now. It's going to be a lot of work. You have a lot of work now ahead. You have to book a guest every week. It's going to be very Wait, hard. You? I, th- I thought that was a we. <laughs> oh, I don't I must have missed that memo. I, I don't remember that one. Uh, but you found somebody very special and somebody who I, I cannot believe uh, you went right into my wheelhouse because uh, this gentleman today uh, is someone who uh, has edited some of the greatest comic book stories of all time and has a major, major factor in uh, everything that we've been talking about here on this podcast. So the greatest comic book story, of course, being the Haggadah, second greatest being the Book of Esther. Yeah, well, I, I still think Nightfall and No Man's Land were pretty, pretty good, too. But yeah, all right. Fair enough. Proceed with your intro. <laughs> Friends, we are so lucky this week to have joining us Jordan B. Gorfinkel, also known as Gorf, who uh, is a veteran manager of the Batman franchise for DC Comics, and he creates and produces graphic novels and music and multimedia. And where we connected is Gorf is now also the creator and producer of the best-selling Passover Haggadah graphic novel, and also the more recent Esther, the Book of Esther graphic novel. And we are super excited to be speaking about cartooning and uh, Gorf's experiences with Batman, Batman being my favorite superhero of all of them. But that's uh, that's a conversation for later on. And Gorf, it is a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you very much. The pleasure is all mine to be here, but we'll see if we still agree with that assessment when we're done. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> so can you tell us just a, a little bit about what exactly you did with the Batman line of comics when you were at D.C.? Uh, some of us are familiar with the comics. Uh, there are others who this may be their first introduction. I'll try to contain my enthusiasm. <laughs> You're doing an excellent job so far. It's the equivalent of me trying to contain my enthusiasm when I'm listening to the rabbi's sermon. No, when uh, I when I, I listen to much... when I listen to uh, Rabbi Weisberg's sermons, all I want is a plug for this podcast, and I'm going. Is he going to mention it here? Is he going to mention it here? Is he going to mention it here? No, 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 not not here, not here, not here. There are appropriate times. The nice thing about being on a podcast that is being led by the combination of people who are both spiritual and deeply immersed in the uh, well, you know what? I was going to say the sequential, the fictional sequential storytelling worlds, but the truth is the biblical sequential world is just as fascinating if not more fascinating than the fictional one and one can inform the other which is the basis of a lot of the talks that i do around the country and uh we will get into later so uh it's a pleasure and an honor sincerely to uh, to be here and to engage with you in this way and i guarantee you that when i am very soon because time flies very soon going to experience your sermon in person 
uh, as a guest in your synagogue, that I will be in the front row listening raptly and uh, making mental notes because I like to learn from everybody. And you especially will be somebody who will be quite the honor to learn from. And well, thank uh, you. Uh, and Seth, enough about you, Rabbi. Let's talk about you now. <laughs> <laughs> we want to hear from you. I, I think to what you're saying, we're all in the storytelling business, right? And storytelling isn't just about fictional tales. It's really about inspiring. It's about bringing people into a world of experience to transport them to something different, something where they can learn more about themselves, something where they can be in their imaginations and just dream of bigger, better, different. Would you say perhaps that Batman is more utopian in that way or a little bit more dystopian? It's a mixture of both. Uh, and let me answer that question right after I answer the question that you asked me before that I've not answered yet, which is what did I do on Batman? And the answer is that the editor is akin to being a, no a combination, a fusion of a number of different roles on a film. So in a film, you have the director, you have the producer, you have the set designer, you have the actors, you have the marketing team, and the editor needs to understand all of these different processes in order to be able to guide them and guide the people who are assigned to those specific lanes and also be able to step in at any point and perhaps do some of these jobs because, as we know, uh, unfortunately, these days, people wear more than one people wear more than one hat. They the budgets and the pace uh, do not necessarily lend themselves towards people staying in their specific lanes. So it's helpful to have somebody who understands all these different components that go into creating not only comic books, but the fictional worlds that underpin the comics and the graphic novels and the ancillary exploitations, such as the movies, the TV shows, the Six Flag Great America rides, the licensed merchandise and all that sort of stuff. And on Batman, I was fortunate to work with an amazing team. We called ourselves the Bat Guys. And they were Denny O'Neill, who coined the phrase Dark Knight Detective. I mean, the iconic Denny O'Neill. Let, let's yeah. let's call it what it is. Of blessed memory. He, uh, he was our sensei and cont continues spiritually to be our master. And uh, in addition, Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson. And between us, we uh, we we oversaw the franchise from uh, Nightfall all the way through No Man's Land. And uh, that those storylines continue to be enjoyed and also profitable for the company uh, all these years later. It's incredible. And in terms of Batman, the character, uh, is it is he is he and his world more dystopian or more what was the other word you used uh utopian utopian i was going to say um uh, affirmationing i was trying to find the affirming i guess would be the word uh in any event i wish we had an editor <laughs> <laughs> well i'm an editor. hanging fruit that was right there i'm an i'm an editor of a different sort is Batman utopian or dystopian? Is the world that he lives in and in, is what he stands for utopian or dystopian? And I would say that much like the Tanakh, much like the Bible, we are always striving towards being utopian, even if the circumstances that we are striving in are dystopian. 
uh, one of the, I didn't make this up, but one of the comparisons between Christianity and Judaism that somebody pointed out to me was that with Christianity, you start with an F, a grade F, and you work towards an A. And in Judaism, you start with an A, a grade A, and you work yourself towards an F. That means that in Judaism, we are all dam l'kafzchut. We are all given the benefit of the doubt, and we all have the potential to be rabbis ourselves. As it says in the Passover Haggadah. Something you wrote a comic book version of, which for the record, I am going to bring to every Seder I go to from here on out. That gets us back to a couple of things that we were just talking about, the dystopian versus uh, aspirational, I'll still use that aspect of uh, of the character and his world, and the use of the Jewish conceived, created graphic novel medium to be able to be one more tool to use to activate all of the different aspects that you just enumerated. Sorry, when you say Jewish conceived graphic novel medium, can you elaborate a little bit? Because are we talking about uh, the original superheroes at Superman where Jews were involved in that creation, comic books in general? Or are you differentiating between comic books and graphic novels as a genre? And if so, can you explain that differentiation? Yes. With regard to the graphic novel, the let's define our terms. A comic book is a periodical. In the, the parlance, it's sometimes called a floppy. It's usually a 22 to 30 page magazine format booklet that is stapled. And the pages are stapled. And the cover may be a slightly heavier stock paper, like a cardboard uh, kind of paper. But by and large, it is a temporary anthologized aspect of the medium. Usually your story, you can have a self-contained story in that short amount of pages, but many times nowadays, especially, the storyline will continue over four or five issues or so. Those issues may be collected into one volume, which we call the trade paperback. The trade paperback has a square binding, typically, or a more sturdy binding, and a hardcover. Well, it's the, it's the uh, Jewish idea of elevating yourself in every way. And that, by the way, is what, what this we're, we're all already combining a number of different topics here. But that's people ask all the time, is Batman a Jewish character? And just like with the dystopian question, you can say yes and no. You can say he is not a Jewish character. Uh, Superman is the Jewish character, at least quite obviously, because yeah. his original name was Kal-El, which is a yep. story for another time. It sounds very Jewish. Uh, his Jewish origin mirrors uh, biblical right. epics, so on and so forth. And you could say, well, Batman is uh, from an aristocratic urban family uh, that goes back generations. It feels a little more waspish. And uh, uh, and and you could argue the opposite, which is that Superman is you could also argue the opposite, which is that Superman is such a fantastical character that he doesn't really have roots in the Jewish faith, which is not about depending on miracles, rather about depending on yourself and your own humanity. And Batman is a very Jewish character in that he builds himself up from the ground up. He is what he has made himself to be from studying, from hard work. Well, he's all, but he's from all old money. And the, the, the point that I was going to interject with is 
when the rumor came about, I think it was two years ago when Michael B. Jordan was rumored to be playing Superman in a movie, they were going to have a black Superman. And they said, well, why can't you have a black Superman? You know, he's from another planet. He could be any color. Like, you, you don't you, just just because he's from another planet, he could literally look like anything. The comics just happened to make him look like a, a white guy from from Smallville, Kansas. But you couldn't have a black Batman. Because in American history, there wasn't a black person that would have generational wealth that didn't mm. exist. And so it wouldn't it, it, you couldn't have the story be a black Batman. Now, you could have like they did in in future stories, you know, Luke Fox, Lucius's son, Luke Fox could become Batwing, you know, because because. Luke Lucius Fox could, you know, design all these things. You you can see aspects of black characters, but Bruce Wayne could not have been a black person because if you go through history, it just doesn't fit. That doesn't have the generational wealth that Batman in the fictional story had. Unless now, he did a DC Marvel crossover and Bruce Wayne, in fact, grew up in Wakanda. Gorf, <laughs> tell me if you just dispute that. Well, first of all, I want to acknowledge the brilliance of that idea, and I want to see that comic book. I want to see that that uh, Wakandan Batman. And yeah. they're already pretty close because if you look at uh, Black Panther's mask, it's very Batman-looking. And I always wondered why it was that national periodicals didn't have a problem with that costume when it was first invented. But hey, I'm not trying to cause any problems here. So Batman, therefore, could be both a Jewish character or not non-Jewish character, but in canon, which is to say the established continuity, it seems that Batman is officially Jewish because they established Martha Wayne as having been Jewish. And therefore, if you follow the uh, matrilineal- What did you say her first name was? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, there we go. Right. So so since both their <laughs> mothers are named Martha, they're both Jewish, and that puts the subject to an end. Let's move on. The overall concept uh, of superheroes, and there is something beautiful in that that's really connected, rather than the, the dystopian-utopian dichotomy, it's connected to Tikkun Olam. This is actually something I learned from LeVar Burden in you know the delightful Reading Rainbow for Grown-Ups podcast, LeVar Burden Reads, where he makes a case that any science fiction, and I think we can apply this as well to the superhero genre, is uh, their works of social justice. Uh, he'll call them speculative fiction because they are all imagining a world that could be better, either by pointing out a universe where things have already improved or pointing out the darkness within our universe that really needs to be addressed. So we could talk about Jewish heroes, but there's also this very Jewish idea of being unable to remain content with the world that is, but having to build something uh, better for us in the future. And I'll add a layer to that, which is the typical secret origin of a superhero, and for that matter, a supervillain, because it's a very thin line between a superhero and a supervillain. I'll explain that in a second, is that there's a tragic background. There's been some kind of loss usually the loss of a parent, uh, but some kind of suffering. And you could argue that that is a more Christian perspective, but historically it relates quite a bit to the American experience. Excuse me. It relates a lot. It, it relates quite a bit to the Jewish experience. And you were asking before, 
about the separate the the about defining terms and i stopped at trade paperback a graphic novel is a sequential story which is to say panels that add up to telling the story visually that is self-contained in one volume and it originates in that format and the the universally acknowledged very first graphic novel which was even titled graphic novel was a contract with god by will eisner a jew mm. I mean, 76 77 something like that so yeah that's a difficult one so and it's interesting that that would be the topic that he would choose for the very first uh very first officially labeled graphic novel where with comic books comic books have quite a bit of Jewish origin. I won't go into those details right now. Uh, there are some wonderful books that you can read that go into it, some podcasts you can listen to as well, uh, or you can invite me to be a speaker in your community, and I will be happy to talk about that in one of my many riveting presentations. If you go back to the origins of the comic book as a periodical there's a very specific jewish reason why they came into existence if you look at the editors and the creators of these comics by and large in the 30s and 40s they were jewish if you look at the the um the genesis of superheroes by and large the creators were jewish and there are very strong historical reasons for why this is so and again i'm trying to just encapsulate it very briefly it's a topic in and of itself so those are the terms that we have we have the comic book we have the trade paperback and we have the graphic novel and we've been talking a lot so far about how we how the passover seder specifically and the Passover and its guidebook the passover haggadah give us the tools to be able to explore our own faith and uh, engagement with sacred knowledge. And you were just talking before as well about how, shoot, my mind just went blank for a second. Uh, what was the last point you were just making? About uh, utopian visions or social justice? Built social justice, that's it. Tikkun olam, that's it, that's it. Okay, I'll give you a good edit point here. And you were just talking before about tikkun olam the being in service of making the world a better place or as i maybe talmudic or maybe not but uh somebody once said what's our purpose of being here on earth well jewishly it's do mitzvot and what are mitzvot mitzvot are literally commandments but what are they practically speaking practically speaking the 613 mitzvot or commandments that god gave the jewish people are meant to allow us to leave the world in a better state than how we found it and just like you have the mitzvot to guide you in life and you have the passover haggadah graphic novel uh, excuse me you have the passover haggadah haggadah to be able to guide you in an evening that summarizes and encapsulates the experience, the entire experience of Judaism. Now you have the combination of the Jewish conceived graphic novel, sequential story with these Jewish elements in order to bring the next generation the power and quite frankly, fun of all these Jewish elements using a medium, a popular medium that Jews created, yes, but that has been embraced 
worldwide in such an amazing way. I mean, just take a look at how the Marvel Cinematic Universe has taken over the world and has been embraced in such an such a, a universal way that its power as a medium is undeniable. And to be able to bring the power of the graphic novel medium full circle back to its Jewish creators and its Jewish faith, to me, makes for the ideal souffle, or if you will, kugel. Well, so the Haggadah is a fantastic graphic novel, but I think if we're talking about a story told in many parts, we've got something bigger that I believe is the newest project that you're working on, which is the ultimate encapsulation of Jewish memory and experience, which is the entire Hebrew Bible, the whole Tanakh, right? That's correct. I am working with the wonderful Koren publishers in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem. And after the wonderful successes of the Passover Agada graphic novel and the Esther graphic novel, we are now working on the Koren Tanakh graphic novel series, in which our goal is literally to adapt the entire, what we call the old, the, what some would call the Old Testament, the original Testament, the for the Jews, the one Testament, into a series of graphic novel volumes. And that will be quite the life's work for me and then so i'll be very curious to see massive undertaking i'll be very curious to see what you do with the less narrative sequences such as uh leviticus where we are hearing about uh, well the sacrifices that can take up a couple of pages but then we get into the different holiness laws and but going to this larger project now I, I can't wait to see some of the work that you do for some of these stories that have been told over and over again because when it comes to the comics that you worked on, your work really preceded these incredible movies that have been coming out recently. Whereas once you get to stories like that of Samson, right? There, there is so much pop culture built up around these stories that you now have to, in some ways, put that aside and create something fresh directly from the source text. Right. Let's talk about that. The methodology that I use in and have established already in the two that we've done and the others that will be coming out, God willing, is that we use the original text with no additions and no deletions. That is our dialogue. That is our narration. And we fuse it with the drawings. So that that's what goes into the word balloons and the thought balloons. And by the way, folks, uh, more jargon here for you, more terms to establish. They are not bubbles. I know people call them speech bubbles. If you want to be a professional, then you need to call them word balloons and thought balloons, please. Or narration boxes That's or captions. That, that works, too. Yeah. And uh, uh, hang on. What was the point I was making over here? Oh, yes. We're using the original text. Yes, thank you. By adapting the original text, we are taking what's always been inherently wonderful about these sacred texts and just bringing them to new light. Because with the Passover Haggadah, for example, we had two challenges. One was, since it's used as a dinner theater guidebook, people said, well, can't you abbreviate it? Can't you abridge it in some way? We don't want to be sitting there all night. That was problem number one or challenge number one. Challenge number two was there are so many places that are like Leviticus, the book of Vayikra, that are more didactic and less or even completely absent of story. 
So how do you tackle those? And for me, I'm actually most excited about those sections, or at least equally ex as excited as the story sections to bring new life to them, because I believe that you can make these passages, which I call <laughs> in the Haggadah, I call them the uh, skip over sections, right? You get to these, it's like, ah, let's just, let's just blow past this and get back to the story again, the fun stuff. Well, I believe you can make these totally relevant to our lives today by using comic book and graphic novel explorations through the visual storytelling medium to make it relevant. What do I mean by that? Well, you can use stories that are from our contemporary lives. And it doesn't always have to be uh, sand and sandals. It doesn't always have to be uh, a Prince of Egypt that it takes place a, a million years ago. These sections, these so-called so didactic sections, uh, scholarly sections, storytelling absent sections can be the most illuminating because it gives you the freedom to be able to tell any kind of story you want. So overlay some kind of relatable contemporary story and bingo, you've brought out what is wonderful, relevant, and exciting about this text that you've been kind of pushing to the side or blowing off all along. Go ahead. That sounds like perfect rabbinic creativity because we use terminology uh, in rabbinics where we have agada, which is the storytelling components, and then there's the halacha, the law. But the halacha really is a pathway towards le leading a religious life, towards leading a meaningful spiritual life. And so we infuse that with whatever stories we can to build that up, to create meaning, to give a pathway towards action. That's exactly right. And now, yesterday, I was having this conversation with a with our rabbinical scholarly expert consultant um, in uh, uh, he lives in Israel and very late his time. Uh, very always very difficult when you're working on these international projects because it may be three or four p.m. my time and it's eleven midnight his time. In any event, and we were reviewing the process because as he is helping to oversee the research necessary to be able to be authentic and authoritative in our uh in our in our art uh for example you it, when you have one passage of uh of any of these books you need to be able to understand what the words mean literally but you also need to understand what the intent is and what kind of learnings we can derive from them and as you said there is midrash there is agada, so there are in, uh, extrapolations, interpolations. There are imaginative stories that have been uh, built up around them, and sometimes we even begin to forget, or the line blurs between what is commentary and what is the source text. The the easiest example is we think of the story of uh, Moses when he was a kid. Oh, was it Abraham? Am I confusing my stories here? I think it's Abraham when he was a kid. The story with the choosing between the gold and the, and the uh, the hot coal. You know what I'm talking about? There's uh, that was about uh, Solomon, I believe. Well, well, no, we're I'm gonna sorry. Have... You're, you're absolutely right. That was about Moshe. That was about Moses. Okay, that was about Moshe. Uh, my, my head is so overfilled now that it, I, things are starting to become a little bit, I wouldn't say confused. Uh, my my circuits are getting a little crossed. But by the way, that's something that we build into the story as well. 
because there is a lot of intertextuality. There are a lot of it's very Lucas Lucasian, Star Warsian. You know, mm. in Star Wars, um, in the original yeah. trilogy, uh, what I consider to be the true trilogy, you have people saying, "I got a bad feeling about this," and then you go back to the prequels, and sure enough, people are saying, "I got a bad feeling about this." And then in one of the prequel sequels, the Han Solo movie, which I think was better than it was given credit for, but there I go again. Uh, what Han Solo says, I've got a good feeling about this. So mm -hmm. it's an echo with a little bit of a twist. Well, so too, when, and I won't give specific examples right now, but there are so many places within the Bible where clearly it's riffing off of something from another part of the Bible, or it is uh, extrapolating upon it, or it yeah. is echoing it. So I'll just continue to call it echoes. So George Lucas was a uh, uh, a big scholar of mythology and storytelling, and he used echoes in his work. And where did where did it all come from? Ultimately, it came from the Bible, which is the most widely read text in the universe of humanity. In any event, so we have. Uh, uh, so when I was talking with the scholarly expert, our rabbinical scholarly expert, we were talking about how um, I'll use the word from how how. Uh, not strict, but strict in the sense of sticking to our sticking to our methodology. How how much were we going to be straightforward in delivering the text as the text and stripping from it all of this, all of these layers of of storytelling, of commentary, of everything else that have been built up over the years, so we can get back to the original. So we can appreciate the original. And that's why we didn't abridge the Haggadah. Uh, we did the Passover mm. Haggadah. We did every single page, every single word. And the reason why was if this thing has survived successfully for 2000 years, and it has, there must be something great about it. And we're just missing it because even though Kulanu Chachamim, Kulanu Nivonim, we're all capable of being scholars and, and, and rabbinical experts ourselves. Now we carry around pocket computers and we don't do the hard work a lot of times. And we just depend on being able to do a quick search to answer whatever question. So we're, we're very surface. We're very shallow in order to be able to go deep. Yeah. Well, we wanted to be able to use the combination of the words and pictures, the fusion of words and pictures to be able to give you that depth, that subtext. So therefore, where is the dividing line? When you, when I am, when I am, I hate to say the word adapting, uh, it's not really an adaptation. When I am, it's not an interpretation either. When I am bringing to life the biblical text, is it possible to remain that strict to 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 have a strict adherence to the source text without using or even consulting with any of the commentaries any of the stories any of the uh the agada and everything else that's been built up over time and we realize that just the very act of drawing the the text was as you were saying before in in so mm -hmm. many words is a midrashic act we are creating commentary, but it's a visual storytelling commentary. And we're doing it in service of the ultimate meaning, the ultimate truth. Yeah. Because if you want, and by the way, we I'll just finish this point and then I'll get to that. If you want to have a history book, then go study archaeology. That's not the purpose of this. 
The purpose of this, as we said earlier in the podcast, is like with the mitzvot, like with the Passover Seder, we want to be able to have a a guide and a set of rituals and a faith that elevates us, that enables us to do tikkun olam, to be better people and to leave the world in a better place than it was than when we found it. So therefore, we are using, we as in my incredible team that is uh, working on the uh, uh, the Tanakh project and, and so forth, we are using utilizing the best available scholars and sources for archaeology, for historiosity, mm. for um uh for all of the the scholarly parts also to put into two buckets for the scholarship and for the visuals so that when we have uh i'll use an example from the haggadah when we have a page or even a panel in which it says okay so this rabbi was sitting in this city and uh or better yet Let's take a specific example. The five rabbis are sitting in B'nai Brak, ancient B'nai Brak, uh, a city that yeah. is still extant. And they were studying Torah until their students came to them. Hey, you know, you've been so focused on your studies. The sun is coming up. It's time for the morning prayer, time to wrap it up. Well, yeah. when I read it, the first thing I ask is, okay, what kind of building were they in? What were the building materials? Um, mm. What kind of table were they sitting at? What kind of chairs? What kind of textiles? What were they wearing? What color were, were their skins? Uh, 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 what uh, uh, what weather was outside? Uh, what kind of topography did they have? What kind of vessels were they drinking from? And on and on and on. And it takes me two days to figure out just one page of, of a graphic novel. And obviously I'm going to have to speed up this process, hence having a, a, a scholarly expert. But it takes me two days to be able to figure out how to uh, how to envision in sequential storytelling style, these passages, because it's so involved. And the bottom line is, I feel a responsibility to be able to visually communicate to the reader where we are veering into the, the subtext, while still providing an absolutely clear and authoritative textual adaptation. And I have spoken for so long now. I love that. As you continue uh, with this work, but also, I mean, I, I'm so curious about the work that you were doing in mainstream comics as well. Uh, this podcast was born because we saw anti-Semitism at an all-time high. It's everywhere. We're seeing it at synagogues. We're seeing it online. We see it in day-to-day -day life. It's just, it's everywhere. Um, how do you encounter it? And has there been moments either in the early parts of your career or what you're currently working on in which you faced it head on or something that you saw either directly or indirectly that you wanted to share? I just came back from San Diego Comic-Con and in the couple of Jewish themed panels that I was privileged to be a part of, Two subjects kept popping up over and over again. One was anti-Semitism and one was the Holocaust. And I'll answer your question very basically by saying the mere existence of Jewish graphic novels and the opportunity for people, not only myself, but the future generation of comics creators who are Jewish to be able to engage in these topics through this medium enables us to 
de facto and proactively combat these two problems, which is lack of education globally in the Shoah and anti-Semitism. The more we can express the inner truth of who we are and what we stand for, the better off the world will be for us and all of our sisters and brothers across the planet. So in other words, you are saying that we need every vessel for storytelling that we have at our disposal and that the graphic novel, comic book, superhero genre, or just teaching our sacred texts really gives us the ability both to instill the values and strengthen us in our own people, but also to tell our stories and combat anti-Semitism and hatred in others. Yes, very well said. Excellent. Well, thank you. You too. <laughs> what a team. <laughs> let's let's do a tag team sermon sometime. That'll be fun. You know, we are each three separate folks, but when we come together, we are the storytelling equivalent of Captain Planet. I was going to think Firestorm the Nuclear Man, but I'll go with that. I was I was going to say who can be you can be <laughs> Professor Stein right there. I'm, I'm definitely whoever professor stein is fusing with i think you know in the live action arrowverse the guy who played professor stein also built the titanic so you know you just have to wonder wait victor garber's character built the titanic right didn't he build the titanic yeah he built the titanic wow he so built to the me, titanic when i, when I think what when i know? think victor garber i go to alias oh but on that note, uh, that would take us into a different genre of That's right. art, That's right. which is television, which means that this might be a good time to say, yeah. everyone, stay tuned and make sure to come to Temple Ben Abraham on February 2nd and 3rd, where we will get to learn from Gorf in person. And in the meantime, let us know what you thought of this episode. Let us know what you think of the show, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. And ours five stars. Five stars. Oh, thank five. you, Gorf. We appreciate that. Um and Gorf, it's just so fun to speak with you. I could uh spend hours and hours uh over Slivovitz or something uh, a little bit less headache inducing having great conversation about this. I really enjoyed our time today. Thank you. I as well. And this is just the beginning for all of us collectively and right. hopefully for everybody who's listening, because my expertise may be in graphic novels, comic superheroes. You have an expertise, too. And as we said, we are a bottom up religion. We are a bottom up faith. Everybody needs to bring a piece of their own experience to add to the people of the book, or as I like to say, the people of the comic book. <laughs> fantastic fantastic uh gorf thanks so much for doing this uh dave we'll see you in two weeks and again we have to do your origin story so it's either find some other guests to join us or get ready to talk a lot well i've got a litany of guests uh lined up <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you then folks <laughs> <laughs>